um, we're going to introduce to you, if, if you if you will, we're going to draw our spiritual attention to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 1. And what I'd like to do uh, this morning is just introduce the book, maybe read maybe one or two chapters. Uh, since today I have a uh, an online conference to speak at uh, at nine o'clock. Well, it's nine at nine fifteen, but I got to get off at nine to get situated. And right now, I don't know how we're going to do that without internet. So it's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, to see what happens here because the entire network went down here. That is so odd uh, that that would happen. But here we are. If you can uh, turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 1. We are going to submit this time as it's been afforded to us to the reading of the word. Every morning we read the word. We're going to spend about 20 minutes, maybe a little bit less today, uh, reading scripture. And then we're going to spend a few moments in reflection as to what the scriptures are speaking into us. The necessity for every believer is to engage in this on a regular basis. On this law, he meditates day and night. That's what the scriptures tell us. So we are going to meditate on his word. We're going to meditate on his scripture. And meditating is not you know, Bible study, but reflection. And what I would encourage you to do as you read this is to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question you would ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question that you're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? We are establishing a meditational posture in our time in the reading of the word. And that's what we're going to do today. And let's get right to it. Father, we ask so that you would speak to us this morning as we read your word, Lord. Introduce us, Lord, to your heart. Introduce us to your mind. Introduce us to your will as we, Lord, um, engage with your word. Father, reveal to us what uh, we need revealed. Father, encourage us, build us up, Lord, that we may leave here refreshed, leave here encouraged, leave here challenged, leave here convicted. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Second Chronicles chapter 1, and I would like to draw your attention to verse 1. I will read. You guys can read along with me. And it says this. Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord God, and sorry, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. And Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the captains of thousands and hundreds, to the judges, and to every leader in all Israel, the heads of the fathers' houses. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for the tabernacle of meeting with God with God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought up the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim to the place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar of Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. Solomon and the assembly sought him there. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, 
You have shown great mercy to David, my father. You have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings who have and were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. So Solomon came to Jerusalem from the high place that was at the at Gibeon from before the tabernacle of meeting and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. Also, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keva. The king's merchants brought them to Keva at the current price. They also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. And then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, 3,600 to oversee them. And Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyr, saying, As you have dealt with David, my father, and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings morning and evening, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel, and the temple which I built will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a temple? Since heaven and the heaven of heavens can contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? Therefore, send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue, who has skill to engrave with skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem whom David my father provided. Also, send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and indeed my servants will be your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance, for the temple which I am about to build shall be great and wonderful. And indeed I will give to your servants, the woodsmen who cut Timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 28,000 baths of oil. Then Hiram king of Tyr answered in writing, which was sent to, which he sent to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people. He has made you king over them. Hiram also said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. 
And now I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Hiram, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyr, skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson, and to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men, with the skillful men of my Lord David, your father. Hmm. Now, therefore, the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine which my Lord has spoken of, let him send to his servants, and we will cut wood from Lebanon as much as you need. We will bring it to you in Ras by sea to Joppa, and you will carry it up to Jerusalem. Then Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after a census in which David, his father, had numbered them. And they were found to be 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens, 80,000 stone cutters in the mountain, and 300, sorry, and 3,006 overseers to make the people work. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. This is the foundation which Solomon laid for building the house of God. The length was 60 cubits by cubits according to former measure and the width 20 cubits. The vestibule that was in the front of the sanctuary was 28 cubits long, along with the width of the house, and the height was 120. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. The larger room he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with fine gold, and he carved palm trees and chain work on it, and he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold for provarium. He also overlaid the house, the beams and the doorposts, its walls and doors with gold, and he carved a cherubim in its walls, and he made the most holy place. Its length was according to the width of the house, 20 cubits, and its width, 20 cubits. He laid it, he overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. In the most holy place, he made two cherubim fashioned by carving and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim were 20 cubits in overall length. One wing of the one cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the room. The other wing was five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. One wing of the other cherub was five cubits, touching the wall of the room. And the other wing was also five cubits, touching the wing of the other cherub. The wings of the cherub spanned 20 cubits overall. They stood at they stood on their feet and they faced inward and he made a veil of blue, purple, crimson and fine linen and wove cherubim into it. Also, he made in front of the temple two pillars of 25 cubits high and the capital that was at the top of each of them was five cubits. And he made wreaths of chain work as in the inner sanctuary and put them on the top of the pillars and he made 100 pomegranates. And put them on the wreaths of chain work. Then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And he named the one on the left Jachin, and he named the one sorry he named the one on the right hand Jachin, and named the one on the left Boaz. Moreover, 
he made a bronze altar. 20 cubits was its length, 20 cubits its width, 10 cubits its height. And he made a sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and the line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen, encircling it all around, 10 to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was the handbreadth it was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained three thousand baths. He also made ten lavers and put five on the right side and five on the left to wash them wash in them such things as they offered for the burnt offering. They would wash in them, but the sea was for the priest to wash in. And he made ten lampstands of gold according to their design and set them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. He also made ten tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. He made one hundred bowls of gold. Furthermore, he made the court of the priests and, and the great court and the doors for the court, he overlaid these doors with bronze, and he set the sea on the right side toward the south side. And Hiram made the pots and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of God. The two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals that were on the top of the two pillars, the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals, they were at the top of the pillars. Four hundred pomegranates. For the, new, for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on the pillars. He also made carts and lavers on the carts. One sea and twelve oxen under it, also the pots, the shovels, the forks, and all the articles from his master craftsman made burnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. In the plain of Jordan, the king had them cast in clay molds between Succoth and Zerida. And Solomon had all these articles made in such great abundance that the weight of the bronze was not determined. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold and the tables on which was the showbread and the lampstands which, uh, sorry, uh, which was the showbread, the lampstands with their lamps of pure gold to burn in the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, of purest gold, the trimmers, the bowls, the laddles, the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, the inner, its inner doors to the most holy place and the doors to the main hall of the temple were gold. Let me finish this last chapter just to keep it within theme. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord were finished. Sorry. (laughs) Chapter four. Moreover, he made a bronze altar. 20 cubits was its length, 20 cubits its width, 10 cubits its height. Oh, sorry. I am on five. My apologies. 
Chapter 5. So all the works that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is in Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen, but could not be counted for num or numbered for multitude. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord in its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which, the, which Moses had made at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jedathan, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, string instruments, and harps, and with them one hundred and twenty priests surrounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass, when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good. For his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of God, was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I'm going to stop right here. Um, I only have a few minutes uh, since... Um, I have some obligations today, but I wanted to leave uh, some thoughts with you all. Um, as you guys know, and I don't need to preface with the introductions that I often give as it pertains to the grand biblical narrative, the grand story. But the one thing that I presume, if you've been journeying with us over the past few months as we've been reading through the entire Old Testament, what you're going to see that continues to recur over and over in the scriptures is the temple. It's a recurring item. It's an item that continues to, to, to find its way into the story. From the beginning, we see it. And when I say from the beginning, we see it from Genesis. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But since Genesis, we've seen a deviation away from the, the temple. 
the the manifest presence of God, this covenantal presence and grace. And what we find is if you if you've noticed throughout the scriptures that as God is reestablishing his place on earth, that God instituted to the children of Israel whom would usher in his presence on earth to establish his government and his kingdom on earth, to establish his will and his rule on earth. What you will notice is that uh, from when they had left the Egyptian captivity, that they were given a task at Mount Sinai upon receiving the law, that they were given the task to build a tabernacle, to build a place, set aside a location, a particular location that would represent the very presence of God. And if you remember, the, temp, the, ta- the, the temple, sorry, the tabernacle was essentially an elaborate tent that was built. And this tent that was built was built with specific dimensions. The Lord was very specific about those dimensions. And there the ark uh, would be constructed and the law would be placed in the ark. And so I find it necessary at this juncture to bring to an awareness that for the children of Israel, the temple was incredibly important. It was critically important to the children of Israel. Um, They were taught tabernacle thinking. They were taught to, uh, to honor the space and the location that would represent the corporeal presence of God. Tabernacle, tabernacle. And what they also understood was, is that the tabernacle was a door. It was a conduit. It was a connection from the divine to the human. And so there were some deep understandings of what the tabernacle was. And the tabernacle was critical to them so much so that they did not leave Mount Sinai until they had the plans for the tabernacle. And until the tabernacle was constructed, they did not leave. And when they left Mount Sinai to go to the land that was promised to them, every stop they made, they went through the meticulous task of opening up the tabernacle and rebuilding it again. And so it shows you how important the tabernacle was, that the tabernacle sat in the middle of the people. All the nation, sorry, all the tribes of the nation would be surrounding the tabernacle and at the center would be the tabernacle, where in the tabernacle, it would house the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the very presence of God and contained the law of God. It tells you how much they revered God's law, but it also tells you how much they revered the presence of God. They revered the presence of God so much so that if you go back in Exodus, and I believe it's in chapter uh, in chapter. 33, that when the Lord had given Moses the promise of the land that Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we will not leave this mountain. They understood the importance of the presence of God. And I've preached this before, but I'll iterate it again. What is the point of having the promises of God without the presence of God? We can have the presence of God, but if we don't have, we can have the promise of God, but if we don't have the presence of God, the promise of God means nothing. What's critically important to the life of every believer is the very presence of God. 
And often we want the blessings of God and the promise of God without the presence of God. But the children of Israel understood how critically important it was to have the presence of God. This was the image which pointed to the presence of God. Thank you so much. It was chapter 33. It was this that was critically important. I've got some good students in here. Man, I've got some good Bible students in here. Love that. Um, And so now we find that the tabernacle, as it goes from one place to another, the ark was uh, was appropriated for a certain person who would carry it to take it from one place to another. Then there was the building of the tabernacle. And this is what we get to in the text, because once Israel becomes a nation, Jerusalem is set as uh, the hill with which uh, the city would be built on. This is the city that's on the hill. And, and so Jerusalem now, at the top of that hill, would be the, the, the temple, the tabernacle. Because now we don't need a tent. What we need is something permanent. And so they understood the importance of that, establishing permanence in that. And David, once he brought stability, David, who is a foreshadow of the Messianic king, once he brought stability, was inspired with the plans for the tabernacle, which was reminiscent of, sorry, of the temple, which was reminiscent of the tabernacle. It was a more uh, permanent rendition of the tabernacle and yet both of them were renditions that pointed to what they aspired to which was Eden ah the first temple the first tabernacle was the garden of Eden it was the place where man was in communion with God where man can enter into the presence of God it was the place where man had no place to hide he God saw all of him and he saw all of God They were in unity and in union with each other. Mankind was in covenant. And at the center of the garden was the tree of life. The tree of life representing, again, the source in which brings life to the remainder of the garden. The the, the very source that fueled the garden It was a tree that was in the middle of the garden. And next to the tree of life was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet rather than choosing the tree of life, they chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Notice in that text that they knew good. David had to have known good. The issue was not knowledge of good and evil. The issue is that now they knew evil because the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they already knew good. What they knew was now how evil juxtaposes against the good. They had this discernment now between good and evil. And when you know between good and evil, what sits in the tension of good and evil is shame. (laughs) Uh, The consequences of sin. The first primary consequence of sin is that you begin to see the tension of good and evil. And when you see the tension of good and evil, what that results is in in shame. Shame is not a godly construct. Shame is is the construct of the enemy. Shame is, shame is not actually a real thing. Shame is just a projection of our pride. And yet what did Adam choose to do is he chose to hide from God. It was at the garden, at the temple. It was there at the garden that, that, that God said, Adam, where are you? And Adam hid from God. This is critically important, family. 
because the children of Israel understood the, 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 the potency of the garden narrative that what God was looking to do was not establish his garden in a particular location, but for his garden to propagate throughout the entire earth that Adam was called to bring the garden wherever he went. Rather than that, Adam fixated himself on the knowledge of good and evil to be like God when he was already created God-like, being made in the image of God with his authority and his power. I say all this to say to you that Adam was in covenant with God. God had prepared a place for him it, the scriptures give us all the narrative of what God is doing in this garden and, and you've got the rivers and I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. But what I love about the text is the text tells us that the Lord put the man in the garden and he put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. Put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it because that, that area was sacred to God. This is where you and I meet Adam. This is where you and I, uh, we have our encounters together, Adam. Adam, this is where you and I get to be one. This is where you and I get to converse. This is where you and I are in constant connection, in communication, in conversation. This is where you don't need to say any words to pray because you are already naturally praying without ceasing. This is where we are intimately connected with one another. There's no separation or any deviation between us, but now you have hidden. And if there's anything that the people of God are seeking to go back to is to go back to the garden. We want to go back to the garden. We want to establish Eden. We want to see the coming of the kingdom again established in our hearts and on earth. And yet this is what the children of Israel deeply anticipated. This is what they deeply desired. This is what they deeply sought after is to, to be one again with the Lord, to be one with God, to be in covenant and communion. But here they find themselves in Israel. And Israel ought to have been a foreshadowing of the presence of God. And on that hill, they would put a temple because the tabernacle was designed appropriately to point to Eden. Its positioning, its dimensions, all were meant to point to Eden. And now we get to the, ta the temple and that was meant to be a permanent rendition of the tabernacle which points to Eden. Notice it's about getting back to Eden. It's about pointing back to Eden. God did not intend, and we're going to read this throughout the rest of the scripture, God did not intend for us to reside inside of temples. God's intention was to make us temples. God's intention was not for us to be fixated on a location where we go to worship and to give sacrifices to God, but that we would become the temples that would administer and administrate the sacrifice of God, which proceeds first with our broken spirit, but then leads to the sacrifice of the pastoral lamb and to be evidence of that, administrators of that, that the priest, the divine priest has prepared for us a place, 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 place. What this convicts me of family, and I don't have the time today. I'll see y'all tomorrow. But what convicts me as I read this text today 
is how much was invested in the construction of this tabernacle. The gold overlay, the bronze, the meticulous details. This one was much more beautiful and, and, and ornate than the, temp, than the tabernacle that we saw before. So much energy, effort has been put into constructing this. And in chapter five, it ends with verse two. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of Israel, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. They put in all this work so that they can bring the Ark of the Covenant up into the tabernacle. We ask for the presence of God. We ask for God to be present. We ask for God to reveal himself. We, we ask for God to take, to take root and to take place in our lives. But do we take the time and the effort to prepare the place where God is going to sit? When I was uh, a kid, I used to always know when guests were coming home. I knew when guests were coming home because my mom would clean up around the house. She put all this pressure. Hey, Isaac, go clean your room. Or Isaac, go clean the living room. Or... Um, Isaac clean up the kitchen, wash the plates. And I always knew just by her activity, she's expecting a guest. We cook in the house, we clean, make sure the bathrooms are clean, make sure it's every, because you don't want to look bad. I mean, I, it's an island thing, maybe. I don't know. It's an island thing. But we always wanted the house to be clean, right? And I always knew somebody was coming. She didn't have to tell me. Just by the way she moved around the house, you knew someone was coming. She was preparing for a guest. Okay, Hispanics, all right. It's not, it's not just an island thing. Thank you. I thought I was alone. I was so annoyed. I'd be like, oh, why, mom? You know, that was always the thing, right? M why, mom? <laughs> that pie song. It's a Canadian thing. All right, good. It's a human thing. We all have a tendency, right, to prepare the place for guests who we respect and honor. We have a tendency to do that. So my question is, is if you're inviting God into your life, if you're inviting him into your house, and I'm not talking about an invitation of salvation. I'm talking about an invitation of covenant. Say, God, take root and take place in my life. Do we put the effort to prepare the room for him? Or is our room cluttered? Is our room filled with items that distract us? 
is that room does that room even speak about the fact that we anticipate his presence in our lives it's about place and today as i'm closing i want to encourage you to go back to your secret place and ask yourself have you made room in there he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty the house of god they're bringing the ark into the temple and they've put in work the difference is is that god puts in the work for us the question is is do we make room Do we make room? Because for some of us, we're waiting for God to to manifest some things. We're waiting for God to move in our lives. We're waiting for healing. We're waiting for transformation. We're waiting for, but do we just seek to dwell with him? Expecting nothing from him. And just to say, God, I'm making room for you. We're not doing this for salvation. But man, we're doing this for presence. If he can just be here, if he can be present. Because if I have the presence of God, everything else comes after. But if I have everything else without the presence of God, I've got nothing. So let's make room for the presence. Let's make room for the presence of God in our lives. God, we're making room today. We're making room for you, Father. Lord, teach us to remove the clutter in our lives. Teach us, Lord, to, to, to see and to observe all that you want to make our spaces in our lives to be. Father, I ask, Lord, that as we make room, Lord, fill these rooms. Fill these temples, each and every one of us, Lord, who you have called to be uh, the temple, Father. Fill us with your glory. Fill us with your presence. Lord, make us a home. Make us a home. Father, we're allowing you, Lord, to give us the specifications. <laughs> Lord, remove the things in us that need to be removed, Lord. Add the things in us that need to be added, Father. Guide us, Lord, as we seek you in this season of our lives. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all, family. God bless you all. I got to go. But I want to just say, guys, see you tomorrow. Um, I'm glad Bible study yesterday was encouragement. I already posted the audio on Patreon. So go ahead and check it out if you missed it. Uh, but guys, uh, prayerfully, um, thank you for all the patrons, by the way. I just want to, I always want to shout you guys out. There's like, there was like five more of you yesterday who came to support. Thank you so much. Thank you. I am so encouraged by you all who are supporting. You may not think $10 is a big deal, but it's a huge deal. $10 is a 
huge deal. And I'm grateful for you all for supporting and making all that we do here a possibility. I will see you guys tomorrow. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, just um, just click the link in the bio. Okay, click the link in the bio. Um, you'll see it there uh, or they call it profile. I guess on TikTok, it's called a profile. Just click the link in the profile and you'll learn more about what we do. And also subscribe to the Reading Ramp podcast. We're hitting 25,000 downloads today. That's amazing. 25,000 downloads. Anyway, gotta go, guys. Pray for me. 